20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. What's going on, Packer fans? Happy Monday. Welcome into an all new episode of the Pack a Day Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. So appreciative of you being here today. Before we jump in really quick, I do just want to go over Packaday podcast memberships really quick. If you haven't yet checked them out on YouTube, please make sure to do so. We are one member away from 100 members. We just kicked this off. So first of all, thank you, but also you could be number 100. So what are you waiting for? Sign up. You get a new members only commercial free video every single week. You also get access to the members only Q&A if you sign up for the Pro Bowl version. There's all different tiers that are available, all different options. Just check it out. I appreciate it. Also make sure to subscribe, give those five-star reviews, whatever you can do to support the show if you like it. Uh, you know, Like I said, support it in any way you can. Tell a friend, whatever you can do. But mostly, as always, I just appreciate you being here and being part of the Packaday podcast. This community and this group of people has been has been absolutely amazing. Couldn't do it without you. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Let's jump into today's. Actually, really quick before I do that, I want to just give a quick thank you to our newest member, which is K Moffins, and of course, shout out our All Pro and Hall of Fame members: Most Hated Minnesotan, PJ Wayne, John Wild, Shabra Dad, Arnoldo Espinosa, Jennifer Wright, Boom Handle, and Donald Lee. So thank you to those as always. All right, now we can jump in to the main topic for today, and that is everyone's favorite topic for three years going strong now, and that is Joe Barry. Public enemy number one, more often than not, in Green Bay. And the question, of course, is should Green Bay fire Joe Barry? And my guess is, as you're listening to this, there's a big chunk of you that feel very, very passionate about this topic. Let me start by saying, and I know maybe I don't need to clarify myself at this point, I am always going to clarify myself on this topic when we do 53-man cutdowns, when we do coaching decisions at the end of the year, anytime, always. I don't want to see anyone lose their job, period. I would love that every player that the Packers draft, every coach that they hire, every GM on staff, every scout just does their job at a Hall of Fame level. That would be incredible. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. This business is really tough. In the NFL, whether you're a player, a coach, a GM, you get hired to ultimately get fired. Unfortunately, that just is what it is. I hate that part of the business but that's part of the business that it is. So I would love for Joe Barry and any other coach, GM, or player that you want to see Cutter fired, just turn it around and play or coach or GM or scout amazingly. Unfortunately, we know that that doesn't always happen, but I do want to say one more time, I would love just to see Joe Barry go out and dominate the rest of the season as one of the best defensive coordinators in all of football. Will that happen? My guess is probably not. And that's why we're having this conversation today as to whether or not he should be ultimately fired or should he lose his job? Should he even still be the defensive coordinator of the Green Bay Packers? What I want to do today is share with you as much information as I can to help you and me who have no say in this whatsoever, but come to an educated decision on if this should even be discussed. Is it past due? Is it overdue? Is it due now? Or is it maybe just time to continue to evaluate Joe Barry? There are things that I will go through today that may sound like I am extremely defending Joe Barry. There are things that I might go through today that may sound like he should be fired a year ago. There's going to be all of that, but I want to give you all of the detail as much as I possibly can so that you can form your own opinion. That's my goal. So we'll get to that. And then I will, at the end, give my ultimate recommendation based upon what we know and what we've gone over today. 
So I think the, well, one other thing I want to say really quick is remember defense is very, very hard in the NFL. Now we can still grade that on a curve. We can still see, we know that defense is hard. So we can still grade it on a curve and say, all right, the best team is still here. And the worst team is still here. And then where is Green Bay in comparison? Where do they fall on that curve? So we can still evaluate it. But the reason I want to say that is usually defense is the fall guy. Usually defense doesn't ever look good. It's always the one that's giving up points. Yes, you can get turnovers, interceptions, sacks. Those things are always positive. But more often than not, when something goes wrong and you lose, it's because you gave up points. You gave up a winning drive, whatever it may be. It is a tough part of the game. So it always feels inherently like the defensive coordinator is the weakest link. It just kind of feels that way. Is it always the case? No. But just remember, defense is hard. And sometimes even when a defensive coordinator or a defense is doing okay, it actually feels bad. I just want to say that ahead of time. And the other thing I want to say really quick too is just remember, we've been through this before. Fire Dom Capers. How did that go? Fire Mike Pettin. How did that go? Fire Joe Barry. Like just firing somebody is not a solution to any problem. So even if we get to the ultimate conclusion today of, hey, fire Joe Barry, then you have to have a plan for what comes next. And if you don't, firing Joe Barry might end up even being worse than what comes next because I don't know, is the difference between what we saw at the end of Dom Capers to the end of Mike Pettin to the end maybe of Joe Barry, are there really, is there that much difference? If you don't have a plan for what to do next and make it better, you're just prolonging the problem even more. So I just want to go through those things before we even jump into it. The first thing that we need to evaluate with Joe Barry is 2023 so far. Remember, the Green Bay Packers, right, wrong, or indifferent, after seeing Joe Barry's performance in 21 and 22, said, we want him back in 2023. So they already thought that he was worthwhile to keep through 2023. So now we have to start by evaluating what has he done through the first four games of the season. So some of you aren't going to like what I do with these numbers. I know that ahead of time, but I want to explain this anyway. And I think it's important to do so because just points allowed in and of themselves aren't necessarily always inherent upon what the defense is actually responsible for. So here are the games so far for Green Bay. You start with the Chicago Bears. They allowed 20 points in that game. 20 points to Chicago might sound not so great because it's Chicago. All right. They also got two turnovers in that game. So allowed 20 points, got two turnovers. However, what I would say is they basically allowed 14 points in that game. Six of the points, they were up 38 to 14 with six minutes left. They're just playing back, basically prevent defense, don't give up big plays. They allow six points in complete and utter garbage time. They end up winning 38 to 20 and still have an 18 point margin for victory. So I don't really care about those six points so much. I would argue that Green Bay allowed 14 points in that game. All right. In the Falcons game, they allowed 25 points and have one turnover in that game. No sugarcoating anything. They allowed 25 points in that game. Against the Saints, they allowed 17 points in that game. But remember, seven were off of a punt return for a touchdown. They got zero turnovers in that game and allowed what I would say is 10 points is like adjusted in that game because seven were on the special teams. Against the Lions, they allowed 34 points. However, I would give them three bonus points because of the Rudy Ford interception that gave the offense three points. I wouldn't give the offense three points because they went like three and out immediately, gained no yards, and you got points. That's Those three points are the defense's points. The offense did nothing with the field position. That's the defense's points. 
I would also say that the offense set up the defense for failure on one of the touchdowns because it was first and goal from the seven yard line after Jordan Love's interception on the attempt to Christian Watson. So I would also count those seven points against the offense. So they allowed 34, but really 27 if you take away the seven yard you know, touchdown and really three points to their advantage. So I would almost cut that to 24 net points allowed or adjusted points for the defense in that one. So the adjusted points per game, if we're looking at it through four games, would be 73 points, 14 against the Bears, 14 real points, not considering the garbage points, 25 against the Falcons, 10 against the Saints, taking out the special teams touchdown, and 24 against the Lions, taking out three points that they earned on their own and seven points that were the offense's fault. So I would say 18.25 adjusted points per game allowed, 73 total. Now what I also want to look at is how does that compare to how these teams performed against other defenses? So against the Bears, they allowed 20 points in that game or what I would consider 14 adjusted points. But even if you just want to use the 20, that's fine. The the Bears in their other three games scored 17 points, 10 points, and 28 points. So Green Bay allowed the third most points if you're doing the adjusted, the second most points if you're allowing the, you know, the, I'm sorry, if you don't allow the adjusted, second most if you allow the adjusted, but they allowed 18.3 points per, or they scored 18.3 points per game in their three other games. They scored 20 against Green Bay, 14 if you want to adjust it. The Falcons, they put up 25 points on Green Bay. In their other three games, they scored 24, 6, and 7, averaging only 12.3 points per game. I tweeted out on Sunday, when the Falcons were playing in that morning game, maybe the biggest indictment so far of anything Joe Barry's done has been the Falcons these past two weeks. They scored 13 points in the last two weeks combined. They scored 13 points in the fourth quarter against Joe Barry's defense when the Packers had a 12-point lead. Now, the offense didn't do them any favors either, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. Overall, the Packers, they allowed the Falcons 25 points. The Falcons are averaging 12.3 in their other three games. The Saints... The Packers allowed 17 or 10 adjusted points. The Saints scored 16, 20, and 9 in their other three games, so 15 points per game. The Lions, Packers allowed 34 points, 24 adjusted. The Lions' other scores, 21, 31, and 20, averaging 24 points per game. The expected allowed points per game in those by, by the other teams with 69.6 points. So what I mean by that is... If you took what the Bears averaged in their other three games, the Falcons in their other three games, the Saints in their other three games, and the Lions in their three other games, and added them together, you would expect that you would give up 70 points total through those four games, 69.6 points. The amount that Green Bay gave up adjusted, 73. So right there if you take the adjusted points. But still, you're basically average at that point. Overall, if you want to screw the adjusted stuff and just look at points overall, that's fine. They are 20th in points allowed so far in the NFL. They will be 19th if Seattle gives up more than eight points against the Giants on Monday Night Football. So they're 20th right now, probably going to end up at the end of the week at 19th in points allowed so far this season. That's total for the team. It doesn't matter if it's pick sixes. It doesn't matter if it's punt returns, whatever. That's for the whole league. Just the total points allowed, they're they're 20th right now, and we're probably going to be 19th at the end of the week. From a grading standpoint, PFF through, not through week four, because they don't have grades for all of week four yet, but through week three and then Thursday night football of week four, Green Bay's defense, they have ranked 15th in their grading scale. 
I have them graded as a negative 1.75 through four games. So use that for whatever you want to use it for. But what I would ultimately say is if you're looking at sort of all of this, if you look at Green Bay's points allowed in comparison to what the team scored other than really Atlanta was the big, really horrible one, but they're mostly they're basically averaging right around what the other teams allowed them to do. You're also looking at a PFF grade that's right around even, my grades that are right around even. You're looking at sort of an even performance so far. So that's that's where you kind of put them from a points allowed so far. It's kind of just in the middle, but there's a lot of other things to go over just on points. So let's go over all the other things that should be taken into consideration for this Packers defense as well. The number one thing I want to go over is run defense. Here's what Sports Not had about the Packers defense so far. And this, this is a great stat that they had. Since 2021, under defensive coordinator Joe Barry, the Packers defense has allowed 4,848 rushing yards or 127.6 rushing yards per game and a 4.8 yards per carry average with 36 rushing touchdowns in 38 contests. 4.8 yards per carry in the entire Joe Barry tenure so far. Last year, they allowed 5.0 yards per carry. And if you'd believe it, they're actually over or like outperforming that so far this year, allowing only a measly 4.5 yards per carry. That's not good enough. You And you could tell Matt LaFleur and his appetite for allowing 200-yard rushing games and not being able to stop the run is up to here. Like he is done with it. So what that means, and if there's actual changes, remains to be seen. But... This is a team that cannot stop the run. It hasn't been able to stop the run throughout the entirety of the Joe Barry era, and it is still a massive issue, and they've allowed 200 yards of rushing in two of their last three games. They can't stop the run, and that is going to undercut everything you do. You have to be able to make a team one-dimensional. You have to be able to get teams in third and long. The crazy thing is that Green Bay in the Joe Barry era has actually been really good in third and long defensively, more often than not but they can't get teams there because the teams run right up and down them with no recourse. And it feels like Green Bay is fighting the boogeyman sometimes. And this is what Matt LaFleur said the other day of like, yes, we want to keep everything in front of us. We want to keep that shell on the back of the defense or the umbrella, whatever you want to call it, and keep those safeties back. He understands it. I understand it. It's kind of been what's in vogue, but you're playing scared. You're playing like, oh my goodness, they could get a big explosive play at any time. We got to keep all those guys back to make sure we don't give up an explosive play. Challenge them. Make them do it. Tip your cap if they get an explosive play. Like, make them earn it. Don't let them paper cut you to death. And there, there is a, like, we know the philosophy. I've gone over it a thousand times. The philosophy of playing everything in front of you is that you don't think the opposing teams can go 15 plays, 80 yards, and score touchdowns. You think they're going to screw something up along the way. So you keep everything in front of you, and you're hoping they screw something up. They have a holding penalty. They fumble. They throw a pick. They get into a third and long eventually, and you can get off the field and force them to punt. You're basically saying, hey, they're going to screw something up. In soccer, it's the same thing. If you, When you coach soccer, you keep everything in front of you. You make it so that they can't get by you and they're going to have to do something perfect in order to get by your defense. There's levels of pressure. But what, what Green Bay is not doing is they don't have it set up. They don't have the right players up front to consistently play that style of football. They don't have the big physical intense maulers at linebacker and defensive line and edge to just be like, we're going to play a soft box 
and you're not going to be able to run on us because we have some jerks up front that are just going to get off blocks and beat the crap out of you. Green Bay doesn't have that. The the players that they have, the personnel that they don't have doesn't match the scheme that they want to run. Now we can argue that that's on Brian Gutekunst. We can argue that that's on Matt LaFleur. We can argue that that's on Joe Barry and that there needs to be a better synergistic approach between the coaching staff and the scouting staff and Brian Gutekunst and Matt LaFleur and all be on the same page to make sure that you're getting the players that you need to run the system that you want to run. But I would always argue that it is the coordinator's job the offensive coordinator, the defensive coordinator, and the coach's job to run the best system for the players that you have. And yes, ultimately you would love for there to be synergy there so that everyone is on the same page, but you have to cook with what ingredients you are given. If you want to make, you know, the, the best, you know, seven star steak and just do ever, but like all you're given is some ground chuck. Well, good luck. Even the best chef in the world is not going to be able to compete with the filet mignon. It just is what it is. Like you have to cook with the ingredients that you have. So right now, I don't necessarily feel like the system that's being run is catering to the talent that Green Bay has on this team or lack thereof at times. And we'll talk about that too. But you have to run a system that makes sure that you can get off the field and aren't just getting bled to death because there is a cost to what you're doing. You can say, hey, we're going to keep everything in front of us and they're going to have to go the length of the field and they're not going to be able to screw up. But there's a few things that are at stake. First is like the the momentum and the morale. If the team's just going right up and down the field and your offense is sitting on the bench, watching your defense just get run up and down the field on or like slowly run up the field on, meaning they're getting just four or five yards per play, that takes the wind out of your offense. Your offense can't get into a rhythm and your defense is getting worn down over and over. And so the next time, especially when you're, you have an offense that goes three and out a lot, you just had a 10 play drive that you gave up and maybe it was only a field goal, but you're on the play for 10 plays, 70 yards and six and a half minutes of the, the game clock are gone. And now your offense goes three and out and now your defense is back out. And now you're exhausted from that last drive, but your offense did nothing for you. Now you get tired. So what do you do the next drive? Now they're going another 12 plays, 80 yards, because you can't get off the field. Now it's a touchdown. Now you're tired again. The offense gets the ball back. They're down 10, nothing now. And all of a sudden they're pressing to try to get some points back right away. They go, maybe they go six and out. Maybe they go, or maybe they get a first down on the first play and then go three out, whatever it may be. Uh, defense gets the ball back. Now they're still tired. And it just, there's a, there's a cost to that. So at some point you have to challenge the other team, especially when you have a quarterback who's Desmond Ritter or Derek Carr or Justin Fields, the quarterbacks, they, this team has not seen a ton of premium quarterbacks play like Jared Goff's been pretty darn good the past couple seasons. So give him, but go back and watch that game. It's not like Jared Goff just picked Green Bay apart. He didn't. They ran 200 plus yards on Green Bay. And the, a lot of the throws that Goff completed were short and intermediate stuff. It wasn't like they were running an explosive big game offense. No, they just picked Green Bay apart at every single layer of the field that they needed to. And most of the time it was just handing the ball off and getting quick balls out of Goff's hands. So, you know, once you have those quarterbacks that you want to make beat you with their arm and with maybe the wide receivers that aren't in spe- whatever it may be, you got to challenge them. And no matter what, if the other team is just running the ball, that like you have to adjust, get to, get another safety in the box, play four defensive line, whatever you need to do, I don't care. But you can't just keep doing the same thing. As Matt LaFleur said, that's insane. If you just keep doing the same thing and allowing the same things to happen. 
So we're just on number one here, but run defense not been good enough. Now, we're, these are not just things, like I said, I want to go over things that could be in favor of Joe and things that could be in favor of not Joe, whatever you want to look at it as. But number two, the, the second thing I want to go over here are injuries. So I wouldn't argue that Green Bay has had a just crazy laundry list of injuries on defense like they've had on offense, but Rashawn Gary has been on a pitch count. Devondre Campbell missed week four. Jair Alexander missed weeks three and four, and Eric Stokes has missed every game so far. That's not brutal, but it's the wrong players. You would love to have Rashawn out there for his full complement of snaps. You'd love to have Jair Alexander not miss half the game so far. You'd love Devondre Campbell not to miss a quarter of the game so far, and Eric Stokes to miss every game so far. So I do think injuries have played some part in this, but I don't think it has been to the point where like you can't go out and compete. They've had some players out, but they have enough players to go out and win football games and be a solid slash competent defense. But I do want to put in here as well that some of those injuries are the wrong injuries. You don't want Jair out. You don't want Gary on the pitch count. And you don't want Stokes and Campbell out either. So that has played a part in this season so far as well. The next thing that I want to go over is the scheme in general. So we kind of touched base on this on the run defense, but the scheme in general is you want to more often than not keep that shell on the defense and keep everything in front of you. We talked about the disadvantages of teams just paper cutting Green Bay to death, how your offense is sitting on the sideline, the morale is getting sapped out of you, the momentum is all on the other team, the crowd's falling asleep, like you're just letting them go right down the field. And maybe you hold to a field goal and you bend but don't break. That's that's good, but there's still a cost to all of those things that you're doing is including getting worn, worn down and needing you know to, to get a little bit more rest. The other thing is at some point, you're either the windshield or you're the bug. And you want to make sure that more often than not, you're the windshield. You're, the, you're not the one going splat. And this is not a physical attacking defense from a personnel standpoint, but it's also not in the way they play. Green Bay is not the defense that is going to bring it to you and set the tone. They're more they're getting dictated to more often than not. And what I will say about the scheme here is a lot of people will just say it's the scheme. The scheme is bad. The scheme sucks. Oh wait, let, let me ask you this. I do think we've kind of gone over we want to see Green Bay playing a more attacking style of football. Let's go week 4 against Detroit. You don't have Jair Alexander, you don't have Devondre Campbell. Rashawn Gary can only play pass rush snaps, you know, 20-ish snaps per game. You don't have Eric Stokes. Let me ask you, and I know a lot of you aren't like full X's and O's, like scheme specific people, but just think in general, how do you want Joe Barry or any defensive coordinator to play against that, that uh, Lions team? So the thing you have to remember is this team has deficiencies with what they can do from a personnel standpoint. And I know we want to always point to, we'll look at all the first round picks and all the free agent money. This is not a perfect defense. The safeties, you have severe limitations. Darnell Savage is playing harder this year, but he's still not a great safety. He's not great in coverage. He's not great tackling. He's not great at taking angles. He's not great at playing instinctual football. He's not great at playing the center field safety. So you have to kind of like the best thing he does is play more of that robber role. And this past week, he was terrible at the robber role, giving up three or excuse me, two big first downs when doing so. Rudy Ford is going to be able to hit you and play a little bit more physical, but he's not the most fleet of foot. He doesn't take great angles and he's been a pretty solid player, but He's never going to be anything spectacular. At corner, 
you have no Jair Alexander or Eric Stokes in this game. You're playing Carrington Valentine or Corey Ballantyne at one. Razul has his limitations at the other, and eventually teams are going to start picking on Keyshawn Nixon more. That's just a matter of time. At inside linebacker, you've got Quay who can't take on blocks and Isaiah McDuffie who cannot take blocks on at all and is just undersized and not super fast and just kind of a guy more than anything. At edge, Rashawn's the only one doing anything right now. You don't have big physical edge setters. They haven't been at least this season. They've been not, you know, just keeping contain. And those are issues that are player issues. And then on the defensive front, you know, you've got Kenny Clark. Kenny Clark's more of a slow burn guy inside. Devontae Wyatt hasn't become a big time playmaker. And like your you're, TJ Slayton's more of your slow burn guy. Like you, what do you want to do? You know, you can play, if you, what are you, are you going to play? And we can even, we don't even need to talk about three, four or four, three. You're going to have two pass rushers, whether their hands in the dirt or not on the outside. You're going to have two defensive linemen on the interior. You're going to have a couple off ball linebackers, nickel corner, two outside corners and two safeties. Now you can say, all right, I'm going to bring my safety up in the box. I'm going to play maybe some bigger guys up front. I'm going to make sure we set a strong edge. Okay. So you're probably, you're probably going to play mostly Preston Smith and I don't know, Lucas Van Ness on the outside with Slayton and Clark on the inside to limit some of the running stuff. Quay at inside linebacker. Maybe you drop, I don't know, you, you still have to probably play Isaiah McDuff. Maybe you play Eric Wilson in that, but like neither of those guys are getting off of blocks. Maybe you're going to drop Rudy Ford into the box. All right, that's that's all fine. But now what are you playing on the back end? Like you've got Corey Ballantyne, and Darnell Savage, as you're like remaining cover guys deep on one side of the field, you're going to get eaten alive against a lot of teams on that side of things. The, the point being here is it's really tough to think that we could go all day on this. It's really tough to think up a, a perfect scheme that you would want to use in that game against Detroit. Now it needs, it, it, it's not good enough. That's what they're paid to do. And I don't have my full day to put a game plan together against the Detroit Lions, nor do I really feel like I want to, but I, let me just say, there's there's not a ton of perfect game plans out there. That's not absolving Joe Barry of blame. You've got to figure out a way to stop whatever it is that they're doing well, in this case, running the football, and they didn't do that. But let me just say, there are limitations to what the players on this team can do and what schemes that you can run. And we talked about the scheme that they're running with the players that they have just hasn't been working so far. So mark that down in the plus or minus column, wherever you want to put it. But that's where we are at from a scheme standpoint. So you guys really need to make Little Caesars, which is the official pizza sponsor of the NFL, part of your game day routine. Pizza is the ultimate game day food. There is no question about it. If there's one thing that rivals my love for the Green Bay Packers and my love of football, it's my love of pizza. And right now you can actually order online during their pizza pizza pregame. It's one hour before NFL games and you can get ready for football, fun, choose your favorite Little Caesars pizza, pick the toppings that you crave. Me, this is going to sound weird. I know because you know uh, my pickiness with food. I love mushroom and onion. That is my absolute favorite pizza. I know it's probably not everyone else's. And of course, you know you love my food takes, but I love mushroom and onion pizza. I love it from Little Caesars. Either way, you win. And speaking of winning, everyone's going to score with convenient delivery. They also have their in-store pizza portal. So you can pick up, you can grab some friends, enjoy a few slices during the tastiest hour before kickoff. Trust me, you're going to love it. And, And if I have to recommend one thing for sure, have to get the crazy bread. The crazy bread is an absolute must. Enjoy it. Enjoy your game day and enjoy it more with Little Caesars. So many of you probably know that Damian Lillard was just traded to the Milwaukee Bucks. And as soon as I found out, 
I had to get opening day tickets immediately. And I will be there at that game because I use game time and even got to use code Packaday for $20 off, which made it even more sweet. The process was so insanely simple. They have these flash deals and you can click on the different areas of the stadium to see which prices are available. You can see the actual view of the seats. It was hassle-free and just super, super simple. Game time is the place for last minute ticket deals as well. You can forget planning months in advance. Game time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and so much more. The game time guarantee means that you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. Snag the tickets without all the stress with game time. Download the game time app, create an account, and use code Packaday for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code Packaday for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. It's finally football season, which means. It's also finally daily fantasy football season. And while I get excited to play daily fantasy every year around this time, I'm even more excited this year because I'll be using prize picks for all my daily fantasy selections. Prize picks is really simple to play. You can make picks and submit your entry in less than 60 seconds. Even better, they offer ultra quick withdrawals to make all your transactions super fast and easy. Also keep an eye out for weekly promotions that can lead to big payouts. My favorite, Taco Tuesday. Each Tuesday, Prize Picks discounts select player projections up to 25% to provide even more value. Before football season ramps up, I've been using Prize Picks for my MLB and college football picks as I prep for a season of winning in daily fantasy football. The experience has been amazing and it's increased my daily enjoyment of watching Brewers and Badger games. Now, it's time to get some Jordan Love entries in prior to this weekend's game. The great thing for me is that they offer Apple Pay, which makes depositing money into my account so incredibly easy. So what are you waiting for? Join me on Prize Picks by going to prizepickscom packaday and use code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepickscom packaday using code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Number four is player performance and buy-in. I think we would argue that there are very few players that are playing at the peak level of their powers. I would argue Rashawn Gary so far in you know, three of the four games that he's played has played pretty darn well. Outside of that, I don't think anyone's playing at their peak level. Now, that could be just ex- like sorry, like technique coaching and fundamental coaching, and we've gone over that with Mike Wall. It could also be that the scheme just doesn't match the players well, which we've talked about as well. But that's on the defensive coordinator to figure out what can I do to put my players in a position to be successful and make sure that they're playing the best brand of football that they can possibly play. And through two and a half seasons of Joe Barry, I don't feel like he's done that. And you can tell because remember, there've been meetings in the past where the players have gone to Joe Barry and said, we need to play a different brand of football. We need to play more press man. We need to be more physical. We need to be more attacking. We're the, we're the bug. The other team's the windshield. We've been going splat far too often. So I don't think that this has been a scheme that has been utilizing the players and the talents to the best of their ability. Next is style of football. We are sort of hammering this one maybe already uh, you know, to an extent, but are you going to be the more bend but don't break? Or are you going to be the one that's dictating terms? And so far, this has been a team that has not dictated terms under Joe Barry. And I feel like there is a limit to what that can get you on the defensive side of the ball. You got to be the one that's knocking the snot out of the other team. At its bare, you know, most minimal, 
lowest common denominator level, football's a violent sport. And you want the team that's going to beat the crap out of the other one, especially on the defensive side of the ball, both sides. You want your offensive line to maul the crap out of the other team. You want your defense to kick the crap out of the other side. It's a violent sport. You need jerks. You need guys that are going win in the trenches and just beat the other team up. Green Bay doesn't have that style of football. And that right along goes with number six, and that's identity. And this is my biggest issue with Joe Barry in the defense. I think ideally they're what they want the identity to be is bend but don't break, go the length of the field, don't give up big explosive plays, make them go 80, 85 yards. That's not a good enough identity. And we've talked about already some of the issues with having that type of identity. But even that, it's not like they've been great at bend but don't break. Their red zone defense in the past has not been up to par. It's been okay this year, but like they need to be better overall to make sure that they're not getting to the point where you can get touchdowns. And over, you know, in the Joe Barry era, it hasn't been good enough. So bend, but don't break hasn't been it. They're not the most physical team. They're not a ball hawking team. They're not a hard hitting team. They're not, they're none of it. So you got to find your identity on defense. And that comes down to scheme and coaching and ultimately lies on the defensive coordinator's plate. Now, from a positive side of things, let's look at what you've done for me lately, Joe Barry. Let's go back to last year when they started winning some football games against the Bears, 19 points allowed. Against the Rams, 12 points allowed. Dolphins, 20 points allowed. Vikings, 17 points allowed. And 14 of those were in extreme garbage time. Lions, 20 points allowed. Bears, 20 points allowed. Falcons, 25. Saints, 17. And again, seven of those were a punt return. And Lions, 34. And we kind of went over that too. There's an adjusted 24 in there if you want to look for it. But so far, since that Bears game last year, they've allowed 20.4 points per game. Now, if you put that through all of 2022, or that would have been the consistent that they did throughout the year, that would have put them 10th in 2022. It would put them 13th in 2023. And they've only allowed two games over 20 points in their last 10 games. Only two games over 20 points, over 20.0 points in their past 10 games. 25 to the Falcons, and then 34 to the Lions, which again, you could probably adjust to 24 if you really wanted to. So it hasn't been horrible. Now we can look at number eight, the strength of the opponents during that time. The Bears were the worst team in football last year. The Rams had just gotten Baker Mayfield in. The Dolphins had a lot of points at halftime and then Tua went out with a concussion. The Vikings played like absolute garbage that game in a game they had nothing to play for. The Lions, good team. They got eliminated. Green Bay only allowed 20. That's still a fine result for that team. The Bears, they allow 20, probably a little bit more than they should have. The Falcons, they allow 25, a lot more than they should have. Not a good team, Desmond Ritter. The Saints, Derek Carr in that offense was cooking a little bit, and then Carr got knocked out of the game, and then the Lions put up 34. So yeah, it's great that they had some success in those games, but the strength of opponent was not really good. And then number nine, I want to just go through some general stats with you. So far this this season, 2023, this includes this week so far. They're 14th in allowed completion percentage. That's not terrible. They're tied 15th in sacks. They do have the seventh worst rush defense at 4.5 yards per carry. They have the most rushing first downs allowed of any team in the NFL. They're tied 12th with three interceptions. They're 21st in yards allowed allowed per game at 352.5. 19th in takeaways per game. 15th in sacks per game. 10th in third down conversion percentage. And 13th in red zone percentage of which trips to the end zone resulted in a touchdown. So there's a lot of decent stats there. The only one that's really bad is the rushing numbers. Everything else is at least okay. 
That brings me to number 10. So we know what the statistics say. There's been some success overall in the last 10 games. We look at how they compared to what other defenses have done against their similar opponents, and it's about the same. It's about average. But that just brings us to number 10, which is the eye test. And I think this is why most people would point to of like, Andy, I don't care what the stats say. I don't care what PFF says. I don't care what your grades say. I don't care where they're at with DVOA. I don't care with where they're at from a yards per allowed or points allowed or anything. I can look out on the field and I can see this defense and I know they're just not good enough. And I don't have an argument against you. In fact, I agree with you. I don't think this defense has been good enough. And I do believe there is a tangible real feel to this defense not playing to its expectations, not having an identity, not playing physical, and just not being the defense that we think that they have the capability of being. So I do think that there is something to that. And a lot of times it can't always be quantified. Some of the best you know, decisions sometimes are the ones that you make just knowing because you know. And sometimes you can screw some things up that way too. I get it. You know, is, are you a man of science or are you a man of faith? I say man is everyone, obviously. But do you want to be somebody that's just going off of, you know, an analytical approach or do you want to see, hey, I, I can tell it's not working. You can give me every number. And the truth is the numbers are average. The numbers are average. It's fine. It's not good. It's not brutal. It's fine. And is fine good enough? Now, the next one I think I want to ask is, is fine bad enough to get fired four games in? The answer is probably no to that, but I do believe that there is sort of a tangible feel of like this defense just hasn't been good enough now for two and a half, almost two and a half seasons. Now, the other thing we have to consider here too is the offense has struggled quite a bit. They've put some, the defense, especially this year, in some really poor positions. There've been a lot of three and outs. The defense has been incredibly tired in a lot of these games because of the way the offense is playing. And they've completely lacked complementary football. The special teams has not been great. The, de- the defense hasn't been great. The offense hasn't been great. And when the offense and special teams isn't great, that's going to set the defense up for failure too. And when the defense can't get off the field, that's going to set the offense up for failure. But it's not just a, you know, Joe Barry thing. Matt LaFleur on and his offense and Rich Pasaccia and his special teams also need to do a better job. And if they do, that's going to set the defense up better for success. So you do need to see a better level of complimentary football than what we've seen. Because if you're Joe Barry and you're thinking that Matt LaFleur is going to come talk to you about the defense and it not being good enough, and I'm not saying you know that he has any say in it, it's ultimately LaFleur's decision. But if you're Joe Barry, you can be like, dude, your offense is worse than my defense, or at least the same. And Basashia, your assistant head coach, his special team just gave up a touchdown and they haven't been playing very well. So you get to the Spider-Man pointy meme of, yeah, it's you, it's you, it's you, it's everyone. So this team does need to play a better brand of complimentary football around. And all of a sudden, if the offense is playing great and the special team's playing great and the defense still sucks, well then, yeah, you know. But right now, it's tough to say when the offense and special teams are also setting up the defense for failure. And I talked about this with the scheme, so I'm going to leave this one short, but I do think the talent on this team is a little bit overrated, especially when you have some of the injuries that they've had. And what I mean by that is we can say, look at all the first round picks. Quay doesn't play consistently like the first round pick status that he has. You know, Devontae Wyatt certainly does not. LVN is not there yet. 
Donald Savage never played at that level. Jair Alexander's hurt right now. Stokes did not play at that level, and he's hurt right now. So, like, we can go over all these first-round picks that this team has. Kenny Clark plays to that first-round level. Rashawn Gary does, but that's kind of it. You might say, well, what about the big money free agents? Devondre hasn't played like that since his first team All-Pro two years ago. Didn't look like it last year. Hasn't looked like it this year. Like, you know, Razul has been up and down. I thought he's had a good season up until this past week. But it's not like those guys are playing at a super high. Preston Smith's had a terrible season so far. So yeah, it's it's one thing to say, like, look at the free agents and the top picks. But those guys got to play like it too. And so far they haven't. And that does go back to the scheme and what's being asked of them and all of that flows together, but players got to play and the scheme has to be better. It's everything. It's everyone. But you can also make the argument who's in charge of that. Who's at the top of that pyramid on the defensive side. That's Joe Barry. He, everything funnels to him. So if the players aren't playing good enough and they're not being coached well enough, it, it all sort of funnels to him unless all the players are just bad, in which case that funnels to Brian Gudikins a little bit more. And then the last thing I'll say here is the process for terming in season is that they basically have to be awful. And so far, you can make an argument that this defense, if you look at the numbers, even if you look at the feel, if you ever, it hasn't been awful. It's been okay at best and probably bad. I think we can argue bad, especially the Falcons, Lions game. It's It's been not great. Now, they won the Saints game because of the defense and the Bears game was pretty solid on defense too. But I don't know. To me, it's it hasn't reached the level yet of in this season to be like, we're ready to fire this guy. If you're ready to fire him now, you should have fired him at the end of 2022. Because basically everything you've seen this year is the same stuff he did in 21 and 22. So if you didn't fire him then, why are you firing him now? Now, my final thoughts on this, my recommendation, and again, I'll say it one more time, I don't wish anyone's termination on anyone. I did think they should have moved on in 2022 and went in a different direction. They decided not to do so. That's what I would have done at that time. I thought there were plenty of amazing defensive coordinators out there that they could have acquired and instead they stayed the status quo. I thought that was a mistake this past year. As of 2023, as I just mentioned, if they didn't fire him in 2022, I don't think it's been egregious yet enough in 2023. And, you know, I understand that there are those of you who do think it has been egregious enough. I don't fully agree, but I understand it. I understand the frustration, especially when you compound it with two years of less than stellar defense in his previous era and his time with the you know Washington team, his time with Detroit. I can understand why you've seen enough to make that determination. I think if just from a Packers standpoint, they didn't release him in 2022. There hasn't been enough yet in 2023 to overturn that decision that they already made in 2022. The eye test, it doesn't feel right. It just doesn't feel right. There's a real feel of that. I get it. I understand it. And I agree with you. But I think the next question then you have to ask is, what are you trying to accomplish? All right, you want to fire him. So, all right, what is that going to accomplish? Firing him accomplishes nothing other than getting him out of the room. Now you have to have somebody that's going to take his place. That becomes a lot harder. I don't think there's a natural defensive coordinator on this roster right now, which makes things a lot more complicated. I don't think you're going to bring somebody in fresh from the outside. And if you don't have anyone that's going to take his spot, it could be worse instead of better. So unless it does get to the point of being egregious right now, I would say I'm probably leaning a little bit more towards just keeping it status quo. Remember that this is an evaluation season. I don't think anything that they're going to do by hiring Joe Barry and bringing in 
anyone that's already on the staff to call the plays and, you know, be the defensive coordinator, I don't think it's going to make any sort of real significant difference in 2023. I think it's going to take a full new defensive coordinator with probably a new defensive coaching staff and a fresh slate of ideas with a few new players mixed in. And that's what needs to change. And I don't think you can do that all. And you clearly can't do that all in right now in season. So I would right now, my recommendation is evaluate if it gets awful, and I mean your bottom five defense and everything, then it's time to terminate. Instead, But if that's not the case, if everything just kind of stays the same as right now, continue to evaluate everything and then make that change in the off season. And just a reminder too, the teams that are usually quick to fire, and you can again argue that they have not been quick to fire at all in this case, even if they were to term them now, but the teams that usually are quick to fire are usually teams that are not great franchises. And there's just a constant state of churning the staff and it just never ends up good. So that's where I'm at right now. I thought they should have moved on in 2022. They didn't. I don't think it's been bad enough in 2023 to warrant the change. And I don't think there's anyone on staff that just all of a sudden comes in and makes it better. Or even anyone that's not on staff that comes in and just makes it better. So I'd probably say as right now, you're not a Super Bowl team. You may or may not be a borderline playoff team, but continue to evaluate it through the course of the year and then make your decision at the end of the year, probably going in a different direction at that time. But I fully understand those that are fed up with it and sick of it at this point and want to go in a different direction. I get it. I really, really do. I just think that you felt the same way about Dom, Dom Capers. You bring in Mike Patton. It's the same thing. You get rid of Mike Patton. You bring in Joe Barry. It's the same thing. It's it's not so much like Joe Barry's going to be gone at some point, probably this next off season. It's more of get that next hire right. That should be the focus. Whenever you let Barry go, so be it. It's going to happen eventually in all likelihood. I hope it doesn't. I hope he just goes out and kills it and crushes it the rest of his time, but probably not going to be the case. So the bigger thing is make sure you get that next hire right more than how quickly can you get that guy out the door. But I know I may feel a little bit differently on that, but that's where I'm at right now. But if, I'll, one last thing. If I wake up tomorrow morning and this episode is posted, and in the meantime, I get a tweet that says Joe Barry's been fired, I understand it. I would not be upset with it. Like I said, last time, I would have moved on from him at the end of 22. They didn't. And that's why I'd be surprised if they did it right now. And if they did it at any time until things, or if things get really, really bad the remainder of this season. So that's where I'm at. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode. I always appreciate it. Hope you guys have a great week. I'll of course be right back here tomorrow with an all new episode. So make sure to subscribe, check out those Packaday memberships if you have not already, but until next time, and as always, go Pack Go.